Welcome to episode 47 of The Process, Self-Discovery. Thank you for being here with me today. Appreciate you for coming. the booth feel my love feel my pain when i'm inside the booth would you switch a change on me if you knew the truth knowing i ain't the same person that was introduced thank the lord because i don't look like what i've been through here's a letter to you i'm back again jesus on that cross i had to rise again time to get my blessings time to get my blessings i had to live my life i had to learn my lessons had to keep that smile, but deep inside I'm stressing. Just trying to keep my spirits from that deep depression. It's time to tighten up. I put my pride down and pick that Bible up. Welcome to episode 47 of the process. Today we have Marquise Taylor on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Marquise. What up, though? Thank you for having me on here, Monte. Much appreciated. I love what you all are doing. And shout out to the homie, Dr. Eve Hudson, who I had the opportunity to listen to her episode as well as a few others. So thank you for having me on here, bro. Hey, thanks for joining us. Can you tell the listeners where you're from? Yeah, for sure. So I am representing the 313. I gave the um, sort of greeting, what up, though, that originates from Detroit. So um, representing the D here in Minnesota and yeah man born and raised in Detroit Michigan spent the vast majority of my life in Detroit until I moved to uh, Minnesota the Twin Cities area and I rep the D to the fullest as well as I can oh yeah what was it like growing up in the D man growing up in Detroit I tell you it's uh interesting for me I come from a family of four. I'm the oldest of four children. Mom and dad were in the home. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. He owned a record store. So for, uh, I'll say the better part of like six years of my life, that's what I was used to him doing, going to his record stores, kind of seeing him do his thing. I come from a family of entrepreneurs, my uncle, owned the record store as well, and so did my cousin. So I would like to say that I had like a pretty good upbringing initially. I mean, I had some struggles along the way, which we'll probably get to um, in this conversation. But just having moms and dad in the house and you know me being the oldest of four children, that put a lot of pressure on me as far as like making sure that I was being successful, setting a positive example for those who are under me. And I would say just to kind of wrap up, man, Detroit was, uh, black excellence was instilled in me. And that's something that I didn't appreciate until I moved away from the city, how much greatness that we were around. Like I just mentioned members of my family being entrepreneurs. And I haven't even gone on a list of other people in, in my family, both sides who ran businesses, but that isn't something that happens everywhere. And having a black doctor or a black dentist or a pharmacist or black teachers. Uh, but I would just summarize and saying like my upbringing was great, it was fantastic. I've had some struggles along the way like many people have, but I would say overall, like I wouldn't have traded my experience for the world. Man, that's awesome. I, um, <laughs> as soon as you said you come from a family of entrepreneurs, man, I thought about my uncle. He used to sell uh, African art. Um, uh -huh, uh -huh. down in Orlando at like the Zor near Hurston Festival and like different festivals and whatnot. And I had another uncle also from Orlando. He had a, a courier business. And so mm -hmm. just seeing them, you know, maneuver that entrepreneurship space, it always, it always sparks something in, in me. Like I gotta own my own. I gotta, I gotta start something. You know what I'm saying? Did, did that, mm -hmm. When did that wheel start turning in you? He is early as you know, three, four, five years old, when I would go down to my dad's store, 
And funny thing about that, my brother, who is about a year and a half, two years younger than me, we have a recollection of seeing my dad in that element. But then my sisters who were born in the 90s, they don't remember that part of his life. So seeing him in that element and knowing like we can come into his office and just kind of seeing him like make moves and stuff, mm -hmm. that kind of instilled into me like, yo, you can do something like this. And then when I was older, I had the opportunity to work in my cousin's store um, from the time I was like 16 till I was about 19 years old. So seeing him do his thing and seeing him call the shots and then his um, father, who was my uncle, doing the same thing on the record uh, store. So I would say early on, seeing my dad in that setting, but then directly seeing my uncle and being an employee of his, and it was like, yo, I can, I have greatness in my blood and then learning more stuff about my granddad um, as I got older. So I was like, yo, I can do anything. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So that's how I kind of looked at it. Yeah, yeah. So being, so being the oldest, you know, and being kind of, we kind of talked about it last week on the podcast with uh, Jasmine, you know, being the trailblazer in your family, you know what I'm saying, for your siblings. You know, what pressure did that put on you, you know, growing up, you know, the oldest? Man, shoot, it's a lot of pressure that goes with that, man. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, I have a cousin that's older than me, uh, about seven years, seven or eight years older than me. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stuff that he did, I wanted to do. I wanted to follow by his footsteps. Like, um, you know, I'm 36. So he, you know, being um, I'm like, six years old or something, let's say he like 12 or 13, like, yo, he got on the new Jays. I want to wear the new Jays. I want yeah. the Grant Hills. I want to, everything that he did, I wanted to do. But his life, unfortunately, kind of took a turn for the worse and he got into trouble. So I say all that to say that me following behind him, I had to be careful and I had people in my family like, yo, you don't want to, everything he's doing isn't good. You want to kind of blaze your own trail because the flip side of that, by me wanting to do everything that he was doing, my brother behind me wanted to do the same. Like, oh man, Keith, he got some, some, some Grant Hills, or he like this basketball player. Like, I like basketball too. So I had to be mindful of that. And then, of course, having two sisters, um, them being six and eight years younger than me, I really had to be mindful of a lot of stuff. So parents like really put a lot of the pressure on me. Um, in so many ways, like make sure you're being successful, make sure you're setting the standard of excellence that I felt fall short of that, or oh, hell yeah, most definitely, especially when it came to grades. But um, applying myself is really something that they instilled into all of us, but me in particular, because I had you know, three siblings right under me, but at the same time, like my cousin, um, making sure that I'm not following all the moves that he's doing, but like look at some of the positive things that he's doing, but also like being myself and applying that to my own life. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can agree, I can see that. So how did that, you know, lead into you, know, you growing up, going to middle school, high school, you know, were you a straight A student? Or, <laughs> what was it like <laughs> Man, no, not really. What's funny is um, when I was in um, elementary school, I had gone to the same elementary middle school, the same school all the way in high school pretty much. So this is what's so unique about the trade. I went to a school called Malcolm X Academy, which was the Afrocentric school, uh, Afro school um, in Detroit. And it wasn't uncommon to have that sort of school. Like we had Paul Robeson Academy at the time, Macy Jemison, all of these schools that were after historic um, black figures. So I say all this to say, that school instilled a lot in, into us and that greatness, like you can be anything because Malcolm X came from his former life to reach plateaus of greatness. So in school grade wise, I was pretty decent, you know, A's and B's. I think for me, as I got into high school and this is where, you know, mom and dad really being on me about applying myself, I just lost interest in it. And it, um, I think more so, it might have just been a school environment, but yeah, I mean, A and B student, 
in middle elementary through middle school high school not so much i had to <laughs> uh take a couple of classes over and barely graduated high school but i finished but at the same time like man as i got older school has lost interest <laughs> yeah yeah so did anyone were you the first to graduate high school in your family Man, that is a great question. And unfortunately, that is the correct answer. So for everything that my mom and dad did, um, unfortunately, neither one of them completed high school. So that's why they really put a lot of pressure on me. Like, hey, and I found this out later in life. Well, really, as I was going to high school, and that's what I was doing. So I didn't finish high school. I had to drop out and get my GED. We don't want you to do the same things that we did. So that's when you know that apply yourself do well um aim for your personal best but at least try to graduate high school and to kind of summarize my experience in high school for me i was more so into rhyming that was something i did um i used to love rapping man like from the time i was 12 or 13 Till I was like 21, that was like a big part of my life and my identity because it gave me so much confidence and gave me voice. Yeah. So when I was in high school, this is something I wanted to do professionally. Like, man, I'm gonna be the next Nas, I'm gonna be the next Jay, I'm gonna be the next Big. Cause those are the people I looked up to and I had a group of friends that we went around the city and did shows. We were in a group together. So that's when my interest in school kind of wavered. Yeah. Like, Forget school, man. We trying to be on the cover of the source, a double XL. Let's try to, you know, get this money. Yeah. Um, but it is not to say that people can't do both. But I think my vision at the time was very short sighted because um, I wasn't applying myself. But I'll just kind of end right here. The reason why I was able to complete high school is because of hip hop, and I was able to write for the school newspaper. So those same people I just mentioned. Nas, Jay-Z, I wrote about the blueprint, the first blueprint when it came out. I was one of my first published articles in the school newspaper. The Nas album that came out, um, Still Maddie. That was one of the uh, albums that I wrote about. And this was 2001, 2002, because I graduated high school in 02. And I was able to like write about the music that inspired me, the culture that inspired me, and kind of carry that over and just develop a love for writing. Yeah. Man, that's powerful, man, because the reason I asked the high school question is, you know, sometimes when you're the first in your family, your family members understand that it's important to keep persisting, but they don't know how to instruct you other than, you know, to keep you, try to keep your spirits up, you know what I'm saying, keep telling you to work hard, but it's hard to tell someone to do something that they that hasn't been done, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's difficult, but I want to I kind of transition into Man, I love I love art. You know what I mean. I love poetry, music. I like the, the self-expression aspect of it. You know what I mean. And that's good. I just want to talk more about to those young artists out there, uh, whether it be performing arts, uh, visual arts, what have you. You know, how what advice would you give them um, of the benefit of going to school? Oh man, that's a really good question, Monte. Um. I would say go in the sense that when you are performing that art, whether it be poetry, whether it be rhyming, whether it be singing, or even visual arts, that gives you confidence, but it also gives you some vulnerability. Meaning that somebody might not like your art that you're putting out there and you're dealing with criticism. And I say, if you can deal with the criticism of using the experience of being a rhymer if somebody don't like your bars if you like really are serious about it, it's gonna make you want to step your game up oh yeah I so <laughs> exactly see there you go um so i would say that sort of criticism you can adapt that to school and you can look at programs or majors like for me for instance the reason i went to school is because i wanted to be a journalist major. I was a journalism major at the time, but I wanted to write for the source. I wanted to write for Double XL. I wanted to write for my hometown newspaper. You know, some of the things I was able to do by way of my hometown paper, 
But I say all this to say that I needed a college degree at the time to do those things. And it helped me to be like a critical thinker. And even when you think about like rhyming or just any sort of talent, there's like a critical thinking element that goes into it because again, you're putting yourself out there, but you also are putting yourself out there to make it as accessible so that you don't just think that your art is dope. You want other people to think at least I hope that's what people, I want people yeah. to think, you know, that their art is dope. So having said all of that, there are majors, there are careers where you can apply that same art or apply aspects of that and, you know, really make money. And at the same time, like if you like an MC or a singer, like J. Cole, for instance, you just quoted one of his uh, songs. My understanding, he went to college. Some of my favorite MCs like, uh, you know, Fonte from Little Brother, he also went to college. And that you can use that as a hustle, like, yo, you on the college campus, sell your stuff there and let people know what you're doing. Oh, yeah. So there you go. Like, you know, try to kill two birds in one stone. Yeah, I, I think you speak to something powerful, man. It's like, cause I, I believe that everyone has a fingerprint. I talk about it, man, that we're God given. You know what I'm saying? That, you know, when you touch something, people will know that you left your mark. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's music, whether it's podcasting, whatever it is, you're going to leave your mark because it's individual. You know what I'm saying? It's your individual trait that you have. And I feel like sometimes people pursue that outside of pursuing like the capital of this world, which is money. You know what I'm saying? Pursuing the career path, pursuing that foundation. And so I always want to know like, if you're an artist, instead of just head first and pursuing that art, how do you, how do you pursue both careers? Um, but yeah, man, J. Cole, man, let Nas down and the rebuttal <laughs> from Nas, man, that, that's a powerful point in hip hop right there with the um, But transition, you know, being the first to graduate in your family from high school and then going on to college, man, what was, how was that transition? Bro, um, I'm gonna try to abbreviate this story as best as I can because it's a long story, but I also want to make sure that I leave <laughs> put in some good details so the abbreviated version is i'm in my junior or senior year i have no idea what the hell i want to do man like i told you earlier i'm all about trying to get down with these bars i'm trying to be on the source i'm trying to perform at the source awards man that was my aspiration yeah it just so happened that the writing and everything kind of fell into that so fast forward to senior year I'm starting to do better, but in ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, my grades were terrible with a capital T, bro. (laughs) So um, my GPA coming out of high school, I had graduated with a cumulative GPA of 1.9. I took the ACT score, I mean, ACT exam. I don't even know why I bothered to take that boy. I I earned like a 13. I fell asleep during that mug. I just took a nap like, you know, F it. I don't care about this test. I just remember taking the nap and filling in a bunch of answers and stuff. And I get my score, but like, oh damn, it's 13. Like this ain't good at all. Especially when you hear your classmates, they got like 20s and and stuff like that, you got like 13. So yeah. I say all this to say, even when I graduated high school, I still had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought I was gonna go to community college. But when we are in graduation rehearsal, and I wanna give this individual a shout out because they changed my life, both professionally and personally. A guy by the name of Donnie Elston came there and he spoke about this program called the Vision of Community Education, DCE for short. And this program conditionally admitted students into Wayne State University, which is in Detroit, Michigan. So he spoke about this program and he said that um, students can be admitted into this program regardless of their GPA and ACT score. I'm like, oh shit, sign me up. My GPA sucks. (laughs) So does my ACT score. (laughs) So um, I learned more about the program. There were other requirements to get in, um, but I ended up getting into the program. And to me, that was my one shot because I had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought I was gonna go to to a community college and by no means is a community college um, less than but I knew for the opportunity where I wanted to take my life at the time, even though I had no idea what I wanted to do, I felt like going to a four-year institution was the best thing for me 
to declare that major in journalism. So I would say to kind of wrap up having that program, but then also the program itself was very holistic that, that you had to communicate with your advisor on a regular basis, like four times a semester. And you had like tutorial support, you had supplemental instruction. They really did gave a, a, a big measure of guidance for everybody in the program. And again, me coming out of my high school, barely graduating, I needed that. And again, Donnie Elston, he changed my life because had he not come to that graduation rehearsal and telling us about that program, I would have never have known. And to this day, I thank that man because I'm in Minnesota, I'm at the University of Minnesota and I'm getting busy. Yeah. So, you know, I would have never imagined being 18 years old um, in 2002 to now 2020, I'm 36 years old, that all of that would have happened. But to kind of summarize everything, bro, um, you, you go to college, man, you don't have a kind of similar to high school with my parents. They couldn't give, they can only give me so much guidance. Nobody from my media family had gone. So it was trial and error. Yeah. Which we can kind of get to a little bit, but yeah, man. I mean, I don't wanted to go to the positive first, and we can get to the non so positive. <laughs> <laughs> man, I already know, man. I, I I didn't graduate high school, man. I, I ended up getting my GED, uh -huh. and, I, and I got into a similar program at FAMU. Uh, I forgot what it was called. Oh, general education. Uh -huh. Same thing where they let you, you know, come in. Uh, on like a remedial basis and, and catch up and see where you are, you know what I'm saying, to see if you get full admittance into a university. So I totally identify with that, man. But I want to ask, you know, because my grades suffered, you know, I got into the university, but I didn't do so hot my first two semesters. I want to ask, you know, how was that, you know, going to Wayne State and attending Wayne State and being a full-time student there? Bro, now you, the question you asked me earlier about how can people apply, the arts and things that they're talented in to um, their career going to college. Yeah. Uh, everything that I applied to being an MC, I was hungry with a capital H because I had no shot. I know we spoke offline about the University of Michigan. Ain't no way hell the University <laughs> of Michigan would have accepted me. Michigan State is in my state as well. No way in hell or any of the other institutions. So it wasn't like I could get up and go somewhere else. I'm like, yo, I'm hungry. I'm off to do the best that I can. I had some setbacks um, where I had to learn how to be a student and how to study and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm like, yo, this is my only shot. Not to, to paraphrase the, the Eminem song, Lose Yourself, like that's how I felt like, yo, you only get one shot. Um, so just go for it and make the most out of that opportunity. And like I said, I had some setbacks, but I was like, what's the alternative? What is there else for me to do? So I'm like, yo, I'm just gonna take this runway. And that's how I felt about it and just had to rock out. <laughs> man, let me tell you, man. I, you, you just spoke to something I wanna ask you about. Uh, you said learn how to study. Um, I learned how to study. Um, my girlfriend at the time is my wife now. You know, just being around her, she goes to the library late night. I'm going in there with her. She's studying until three in the morning. I'm like, man, you reading books until this early in the morning? I'm like, oh man, this I guess this is what I gotta do, you know, to get my grades up to, to, to focus to, to you know to graduate. So that's how I learned how to study. You know, what was the process like for you learning how to study and to be a student? Man, coincidentally, kind of the same thing, bro. It's funny you mentioned that. So my uh girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, so that's <laughs> interesting. Uh, she went to the University of Michigan and I met her in my like sophomore years or something like that. And at the time I was a somewhat serious student, but like being around her and knowing like how much work she was putting in, it really kind of propelled me to like, yo, I really need to take this seriously because you know, I'm talking to this chick or whatever, she up at the University of Michigan, I need to be applying myself. Yeah. So I would say that coupled with um, the program itself, they had designated like study areas, um, you know, kicking it with my homeboy who was my math tutor at the time, you know, learning from him and like other people. It's really about the people you surround yourself with. If I'm being completely honest, like, and I think that started with, um, you know, meeting my girlfriend at the time. 
and then starting to connect with other serious students on my own campus because um, I would say that, but then also when I became a peer mentor later in my academic career, I lived on campus. And now I tell you, if I hadn't lived on campus because for the last, you know, three or so years or up until that point, I was commuting, you know, catching a bus to uh, campus or whatever. And I'm only on campus for so long, but when you live on campus, you go. Library right across the street. You better go yeah. over to that mug, go <laughs> knock out this paper. Uh, so I didn't have any excuse. And plus, I was a peer mentor at the time. So the, part of my job was to set a good example. So I would say, um, you know, meeting good people, in particular my girlfriend at the time, and um, having jobs on campus where I had to um, have a positive, set a positive example. And even like some of the work study jobs too, man. Like, you sitting at a desk, you might as well read a book or something and knock out your paper, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, man, I, I totally agree. You know, it's about the people you surround yourself by and also, you know, being involved, you know what I'm saying? I, Cause I can, I can totally identify, man, I, I'm, I'm from Tallahassee, Florida, and I went to Florida a and and I stayed home and, and just trolled the campus. But once you fully submerge yourself in an academic career, man, it'll, it'll pay off dividends, but you just don't know sometimes. Uh, so what did what did what did life take you uh, once you graduated from Wayne State? Shoot, man, life took me just trying to figure life out. <laughs> I'm being completely honest, man. Um, I didn't mention this in talking about um, going to college because I didn't want to like um, have the listeners tune out. But I went to college a year after I graduated high school. So if I came out in 2002, I went in 2003, started there. So I was 19 years old by the time I started. And it took me about five and a half, almost six years to graduate. So when I came out, I was 25 years old. So I graduated Wayne State in 2009. Mm -hmm. So I'm still at the crib, man, um, trying to figure out life. I was able to do this uh, program called the AmeriCorps program, AmeriCorps Vista program. So I did that for a couple of months during the summer. And then after that, the program ended. So it ended in August. And then from August until November, I was unemployed. I was like doing odds and ends, um, you know, still freelancing. I was freelancing for one of our uh, papers in, uh, in town, Michigan Front Page, which is a African, well, it's no longer in existence, but it was an African-American publication. And that was a sister paper to the Michigan Chronicle. So I was doing some of that, volunteering, trying to find jobs, man. It was rough, man. This is what, 2009. So the economy wasn't the greatest. Um, I think um, President Obama had just been inaugurated like earlier in January, but you know, he inherited now, I'm not trying to get into politics, but the economy wasn't that great <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Um, so I say all this to say, like, trying to figure out life, man, trying to figure out what the next move is, trying to keep money in my pocket, um, you know, living at home. My parents had divorced, like, a few years earlier, so trying to help out as best as I could. And So from Wayne State to AmeriCorps to grad school, was that, how was that transition, you know, going from... <laughs> You know, barely coming out of high school, and now you're going to grad school. <laughs> Shoot, man. I mean, the same energy, bro. Like, coming yeah. in the Wayne State conditionally admitted, I'm hungry, man. I got to figure something out, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You no, know? um, I agree. So, being in grad school, what's funny about that was when I was coming out of undergrad, I was looking at graduate programs, but focused on like counseling because what I wanted to do was be like a high school a guidance counselor or something along those lines. And um, and this kind of stems from my experience of being a peer mentor while working with those same students who were admitted into the program with me, I was just a mentor. So I wanted to kind of do that on a more formal level. But then as I started like learning more about counseling, I was introduced to this program called Student Affairs of Higher Education. And in that program, it encompasses like the many different functional areas that you can do in higher education, whether it be admissions, whether it be financial aid, orientation, advising. I was like, yo, I want to do this program. And plus, it was less time than the counseling program. Like the master's program that I did was 38 credits. The counseling program was like 60. I'm like, shoot, I ain't got that kind of time, bro. I'm getting older. Um, so I think I was admitted into school. I think I was like 
26 at the time. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm trying to eat, man. I'm tired of living at the crib, or you know, I'm trying to, you know, create a life for myself. So um, coming into that program, we got admitted into Eastern Michigan University, which is um, about 30 or 40 minutes west of Detroit and about 15 minutes from um, Ann Arbor, which is where the home of the University of Michigan is. So I got admitted there. It was the only school I applied for. I probably could have applied to more, but I wasn't thinking. I was like, you know, I'm always familiar with being in Ann Arbor anyway, just you know, having visited my girlfriend for so many years. Yeah. Went there, man. and. Again, I just like, yo, I'm hungry. Where else? What else am I gonna do? So that's my philosophy mm-hmm. on stuff like that. It's like it's an opportunity, take it and make the most out of it. Man, I, I totally agree, man. We got a similar story for real when it comes to you know education. And, uh, I went to Purdue. I applied to like eight schools, grad schools, but I got into Purdue because uh, my advisor went to my my undergrad in the same program mm-hmm. that I went to. He was recruiting students like. So he gave me a chance. I'm like, man, it's the only chance I have, and it's at Purdue University. Oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta put up and shut up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, leading into, you know, who you are today. You know, you have a podcast. Can you talk about your podcast? Well, where'd you get inspiration from? Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, the inspiration for the podcast is moving away from the trade, and I say this in a, a way that's so where I'm at now, I completed graduate school in 2013. I mentioned to you offline, I'll look at the jobs everywhere. Yeah. Michigan, Ohio, um, Indiana, Wisconsin, DC. Um, I try to stay in like the Midwest region, but I was also like thinking about places where I can see myself living in. Yeah. So Minnesota was not on my radar, if I'm being completely honest with you. <laughs> The reason why I applied there, one of my good friends who went to school, grad school with me, um, she graduated, we graduated at the same time, but she was getting married and she was moving to Minnesota. So I was, she used to talk about her, her internship because I think she did it um, at the University of Minnesota. So I was like, yo, I don't really know much about Minnesota. Uh, but on a personal reason, personal, yeah, one of the personal reasons I applied to Minnesota for jobs. I am a big Prince fan. I love Prince, always have, always will. And that's the only thing I knew about Minnesota, (laughs) Prince. The Minnesota Vikings, the Timberwolves, and the Twins also love sports too. So um, I just happened to apply to the job, got the job, and was been rocking out ever since here in Minnesota. But to get to the second part of your question about the podcast, I travel a lot, man, across the country. At least I did, you know, with the pandemic and stuff out of nowhere. <laughs> but yeah. um, being in Minnesota and just traveling across the country, if you catch me, I always got on my D hat, man. My Tigers hat, always got on a Pistons jersey. Maybe not so much the Lions, because the Lions have always sucked since as long <laughs> as I can remember. Unless <laughs> it's a Barry Sanders jersey, but you're not going to catch me in a Matthew Stafford jersey. <laughs> but I digress, I digress. But I say all this to say, that's one of the things people notice about me. Like, yo, you from the D? And we start talking and stuff like that. And I figure, you know, what would it mean if I can create like a podcast or a platform of people from across the Detroit, people who are from Detroit from across the world can connect. And that's kind of the inspiration behind it, like being away from home and recognizing how beautiful Detroit is. And it's morphed into so many different things, but the initial idea behind it was to connect with people. In particular, I wanted to highlight first-generation college graduates, and that's because of Dr. Eve and, you know, knowing her and knowing the podcast that she did, I wanted to kind of do something similar. But then I always also realized, like, wait a minute, it's so much that people who come out of Detroit who haven't even gone to college, and they might be living in, like, Atlanta or, like, you know, where you from, Tallahassee, that they need their story spotlighted. And I also wanted to, like, look at um, public figures. I wanted to have, like, Jamel Hill and Michael Eric Dyson and Eric Thomas on the podcast, which um, that would be dope if they get on there. But at the same time, like, the people who are, like, behind the scenes, like, really doing it. And it's been fun, man. I launched it last May, May 2019. And I think it's kind of morphed into 
a hub for like entrepreneurs who are from Detroit. Like one of my favorite episodes that I did was with a homegirl that has like a black owned um, beauty supply store, online beauty supply store. She out in Chicago, but she represented the D and I had to get her on there and like other people who have businesses and stuff like that. So it's been fun, man. But to kind of get to your question um, or summarize it is being away from Detroit traveling across the country, people like recognizing I'm from Detroit and just saying, yo, what would it mean to kind of like bring that into a modernized form of storytelling, but also as a hub for us people that's from Detroit who might be living in like Seattle, Minnesota, Albany, New York, for us to kind of connect and see what each other is doing. Cause Detroit is a beautiful place. Man, that's live, man. That's like a, a audio networking session, you know what I'm saying? It is, man, it is, bro. And that's the thing, like, the people we've had on the podcast, like, I've had people who've been younger than me, but I've also had people who've been older than me and people who are the same age as me. And what's dope about it is the oldest person we had on the podcast was a, a former coach at Cleveland State University. They were a basketball coach, long-time basketball coach. If you are familiar with uh, the NBA, they coached uh, Norris Cole, who played for the Miami Heat, won the two back-to-back -back championships yeah, yeah. Uh, when LeBron and D-Wade was holding it down. But he was um, Norris's head coach, but he happened to be from Detroit. He's an older dude. He like dropping all this game. Like, yo, I remember going to see like George, the Iceman, Gervin play. I remember this, I remember that. <laughs> and for me, like being a sports fan, I'm like, yo, this is dope. And somebody that's younger than me might not know about that. But then a person who might be like a little older than me to say like in the 40s or something, they hipping me the game that I didn't know about. But then somebody that's like me, that's in their mid 30s, I'm kind of bringing all that game to people. Like another episode I like, really love was uh, this cat by the name of Rashad Phillips who um, played for the University of Detroit Mercy. And he was like one of the best hoopers in the city at the time. I'm in high school, so he's like a little older than me. It was dope about his story. He's really good friends with Kobe Bryant. And he and Kobe played in the same um, basketball uh, games, tournament when they were both in high school. Kobe Bryant said to him, because Rashad was never drafted, that Rashad Phillips is the best player that was never drafted in the NBA. He had that validation from the Black Mamba, bro. Well, like, Black Mamba, oh my goodness. <laughs> so that episode, that's a, a personal favorite of mine too, because I remember looking at Rashad, um, you know, when I was in high school or middle school, going to some of his games, and was disappointed as hell that he wasn't drafted because and you should Google some of his highlights, man. Hopefully your listeners can do this too. Like his game was the exact same as Allen Iverson. He had the handles, he had the tenacity of like a Kobe. And he beat, he was in the um, NCAA tournament. He beat Baron Davidson, uh, Earl Watson's team, UCLA Bruins. He beat um, uh, St. John's. They had Ron Artest and some other cats on there. He was going head up. And this is like a mid-major school. He was doing his thing. He got that validation from Kobe Bryant. Like that to me, like young people don't know the kind of work that my man is putting in. So yeah. like if you saw that like in real life, in real time, like I let this dude on the podcast, let these people know like he getting busy. And yeah. those to me, like those, those, those unsung heroes, if you will, that's coming from the D, like that's what I like to talk about and for the world to hear. Yeah, man, that's awesome, man. I think I want to switch a little bit because we got a unique opportunity because you're a fellow podcaster to talk about podcasting a, just a little bit, you know, um, for those people out there thinking about starting a podcast. Because I know we have lawyers on, we have PhD students, grad students. We, we say, what's the process like of, you know, pursuing that career? But, you know, what's the process like of being a podcaster? You know what I'm saying? and trying to form content and develop content. I mean, you know better than I do, it is not easy. We were talking about this offline, it is hard. People think you need to jump on the mic <laughs> and get busy. That's not necessarily the case. So <laughs> the editing process, luckily I have like a, a good editor it was funny. The same editor that Dr. E works with is my editor too. So. She, that's why I'm so grateful for our friendship that she connected me with so many dope people. But I say all this to say like the process, recording, you know, you got to reach out to guests. Um, 
because I used to work in media, actually, and I'm gonna get to this in a second, um, you gotta like be professional with it, making sure that you're talking to people, you get the calendar stuff and all that, make sure your equipment is dope, um, connecting with the right people in the community. Like to me, honestly, podcasting represents like what I wanted to do when I was in music, like having that connection to people. Like I always wanted to be like cool with somebody on a rhyming tip, like somebody down like Georgia, like, yo, I wanna jump on your track or, you know, form some sort of coalition or something, because I wanted it to be like bigger than the D uh, when I was doing the rhyming thing. So I think the podcasting has kind of allowed me to do that. So I will say like the networking, man, the networking is huge. Like, yo, the fact that I need to go back and listen to this, the episode y'all did, y'all had Teddy Bridgewater on your podcast. <laughs> what the hell? You know, I'm in Minnesota. I love Teddy Bridgewater. I used to watch him. You know, I, I know I mentioned Lions. I don't necessarily care for him, but um, you know, whenever they would play the Lions, I would try to go to at least every game because I wanted to support the hometown team. But the fact that y'all had Teddy Bridgewater on podcast, like I love Teddy Bridgewater, him coming out of Louisville and him getting drafted and stuff like that. Like, that's dope. So I say all this to say, like, um, it also gives you like a sense of confidence and you like really putting your work in. It gives you like the affirmation because you can't, you can't like look at the instant results of it, like whether you get a download or somebody like liking the post gives you that but then the other thing the podcasting did for me I mentioned like my background in writing from the time like 2009 to now I hadn't written an article in like 10 years or 2019 I should say but podcasting reintroduced me to writing and that currently I'm with the Minnesota Spokesman Recorder uh, which is another black owned publication and it actually sharpened my interview skills. Like I go to concerts, I you know, saw Jill Scott when she was in concert, had the opportunity to cover that, or like Raphael Sadiq, or interviewing celebrities like um, you know, Alexander O'Neill, who was a, a R&B singer, still is an R&B singer from like the 80s, but it's kind of giving me that confidence. Like I know how to work with like people's press, um, PR, just to, like the avenues that goes into that. And that's some of the same things I've been doing with podcasting. You know, the bigger the guests, you know, you want to reach out to the press team. We are a form of media. So I would say, man, it's fun. You know, I wouldn't change it for the world because it helped me to connect with people. But at the same time, it also reintroduced me to my original love and passion, which is writing and creativity, man. man. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I can agree. I love the creativity and the affirmation that you get from it. You know, for me, for our podcast, for me, it's like, you know, I feel like God put this on my heart to do because I feel like every, no matter where you're from, everyone has a story. But sometimes we don't hear those stories. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we feel like when we're going through a certain situation that we're alone. You know what I'm saying? We can't do it. Or, you know, but when you listen to people who overcome something time and time and time again, man, that's what it's just affirmation that, you know, I'm headed in the right direction, if you will. You know what I'm saying? No matter, like you said, if I get a like or this or not, you know, I'm putting it out in the universe grab hold to what do you what do you do now uh, with the University of Minnesota yeah man so what I do currently I work with students who are in STEM or engineering science or engineering work as an advisor and program coordinator so just supporting those students in their transition into their majors but then outside of the classroom supporting them in their different programs whether it be NSBE which stands for the Society of Black Engineers or um, the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineership is their chapter, and then the Indigenous American uh, Indian students. So just supporting them through those means and also supporting students in programs that are similar to the one I was admitted to in Wayne State um, through those means as well. So been doing, or this particular role, I've been there for about three or so years, almost three years, and then prior to that, I was on another campus of the University of Minnesota, and I worked with students in like, uh, wanting to go into healthcare, so like pharmacy, dentistry, physical therapy, medicine. So it's been fun, because I have a non-science background. I have an English degree for my bachelor's and a graduate degree in education. So the extent of my science knowledge, I barely passed chemistry. I took that boy and I needed to graduate. Um, but I don't have a science background, but the students that I find myself kind of drawn to are those students who are in those aforementioned fields that I just discussed. So I think it's I think it's kind of poetic, man, speaking of like expressionism, is you know, looking over what you've been through in your academic career and now you're in a position 
to help facilitate others transition through college, man. You know, how's that been for you? You know, what I mean? being once looking at you know learning how to be a student to now helping students, you know, matriculate through college. Bro, was dope, and I pinch myself sometimes when I go to work. I would have never, ever <laughs> been admitted into the University of Minnesota. But here I am working there and I'm teaching these students how to navigate college. What the hell? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have never have imagined that. Coming out of high school some 18 years ago, here 18 years later, I'm at the University of Minnesota Big Ten Institution. Helping somebody navigate that, man, I'm like, I can't believe it. Even the place I've interviewed, I'm like, yo, I would have never been admitted into this school. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say, like, to answer that question, bro, like, I pinch myself every time. That's why I go back to Donnie Elston, man. Had it not been for him coming to my high school graduation rehearsal and telling me about Wayne State, none of this would be possible, man. Yeah. And that's what I think about every day when I go on campus and I'm like, they actually paying me to do this, man. <laughs> wow. You know what I'm saying? So I think about that every day. I've been thinking about it more frequently. Um, now that I'm, you know, coming out of high school, it'll be 18 years uh, coming up in June. I'm like, yo, I would have never imagined. Looking back over your life, what, what advice would you give your younger self? Man, the advice I'll give my younger self is um, just be patient. Be patient. So much has had been instilled in me or has been instilled in me or still is instilled into me. But focus on the process and the outcome. And I would just say what that looks like in short, experience the moment, but at the same time, think about ways to plan for your future, if that makes sense. Because I used to be so focused on when I was younger, especially in like undergrad, yo, what am I gonna do five years from now? Which is good to have forward thinking, but I wish I could like go back and like have lived in the moment to experience life at that time for what it was. And that was self-discovery. So I would say be patient, focus on that, but also Think about what outcomes could look like, but don't put so much like pressure on yourself to do that if that makes sense. So, you know, looking back also, you know, through your, your trial and tribulations and things like that, you know, what does trust the process mean to you? Man, trust the process. I mean, I think about Joel and B when I hear <laughs> trust the process, but yeah. on, a, <laughs> on a serious note, I say trust the process really looks like, um, just having the confidence that everything is going to be okay, whether that confidence comes from a higher power, whether that comes from community, whether that confidence comes from within, within. Because at the end of the day, we all will encounter some sort of struggles. I know I have. And, you know, to paraphrase um, a commonly used quote, you know, by people who might be familiar with this person, but, you know, Frederick Douglass, Without struggle, there is no progress. Yeah. And that to me means that you are going to encounter some sort of struggle, but how you respond to it is focusing on a process and knowing that at the end of the day, everything is going to be okay. Awesome, man, awesome. So, you know, we, we definitely appreciate having you on the podcast, man. And, and sharing your journey and representing for Detroit. Do you have any lasting words that you want to leave with the listeners? Focus on ways where you can become the best version of yourself or be in spaces that allow you to be the best version of yourself because in 2020, everything being on social media and stuff, focus on our likes. You know, we spoke about podcasts and downloads and stuff like that. Everything is sort of like instant gratification in a way. Yeah. And because of that, you might not have or perceive that you don't have, aren't doing a certain thing. Like I think about people who post on social media about the vacations that they go on trips. That's dope and everything, that's cool. 
but on the flip side of that, a person could be looking at it like, yo, I wish I was doing the same thing. And they may not feel like what they're doing matters. So focusing on being the best version of yourself, because even for me, like, I just got back into writing after a 10 year hiatus. And I'm on social media. And like when I was writing, like really into it, Instagram wasn't around, nor was Twitter, Facebook was around, but writing wasn't as accessible. You can like share it often. But now we're in a space where I see writers that's been doing it for a while. And sometimes you like judge yourself like, yo, like I wish I could write like them. But having said that, if I keep focused on being the best version of me when it comes to writing, that is all that matters. As long as somebody appreciates the work that I'm doing, I might not have like all the followers, quote unquote, or the many likes and stuff about it, but focusing on like the hard work and effort, that to me is trusting the process, being the best version of yourself. And just that's the last thing I want to like leave with the listeners. If anything, take away from that episode, everything that I said, focus on being the best version of yourself. Awesome, man. Awesome. So where can the listeners, you know, find you to tap into your, your podcast and things like that? Yeah, for sure. Detroit Worldwide, we are available on all streaming platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. <laughs> Anywhere you can listen to a podcast, you can find Detroit Worldwide there. Um, and then I'm on Instagram. I'll give you the uh, Instagram and the Twitter. Um, if you want to follow the podcast on Instagram, it is simply at Detroit Worldwide Podcast. You can check us out on IG, on Twitter. I think it's Detroit Worldwide Pod. My personal Instagram and Twitter are the same. M Taylor, that's M-T-A-Y-L-O-R-313, which is the area code of Detroit. Same for Instagram and Twitter. And then, I mean, I'm not gonna tell you, I'm, I'm Marquise Taylor on Facebook, but so many Marquise Taylors, you're probably <laughs> <laughs> not gonna find me. So, <laughs> but I am on the book, LinkedIn, if people wanna get down with that, um, there might be so many Marquise Taylors on there, but. Instagram and Twitter, man. Holler at your boy. And then, like I said, Detroit Worldwide. We're everywhere. Celebrate our one-year anniversary. We got some dope guests. I mentioned Rashad Phillips. Um, Aisha Griffin is one of the uh, episodes that I did that was dope. Who has the uh, black-owned beauty supply store. Uh, Brandon Williams is another individual who worked with uh, Dr. Dre. Eminem is a producer, but he also has to work out as well. I mean, if you want to learn about Detroit, check out the podcast. Like, I'm biased. It's dope. (laughs) (laughs) But the guests make the podcast because they drive what we do. It's an interview-based podcast, as you already know. So, This concludes episode 47 of The Process. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And to listen on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through, and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.